come to oblivion. It's kind of fitting that I have a bit of gravelly voice from a cold as we do this episode. Welcome to the 666th episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie, and you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. Though lately, I've been writing a bit more dark fantasy, delving into the stranger and more sublime areas of the world. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I racked my brain on what I wanted to do today because I saw the 666th episode coming up and I was like, you know, I am going to do an episode dedicated to the sympathy for the devil. And no, not just the song by the Rolling Stones, like the actual concept. Why, why do we have such sympathy for the devil? From Merciful Fate to Ronnie James Dio to songs by Black Sabbath invoking the Dark Lord. It's a typo negatives, really dark version of Black Sabbath song invoking the Dark Lord. All the way to the chilling adventures of Sabrina. The devil has been a topic that we just can't avoid. Why? Well, I think we have to go to the devil's first fanfic. And it's almost funny that it is. Um... In a poem titled Milton, uh, William Blake says that the poet John Milton did the best PR for the devil that the devil has ever gotten. And I think to a great degree that's true. Milton's Paradise Lost really marks a change in how we talk about the dark, sinister, satanic forces in the world. Mainly because he was writing the story from the devil's point of view. This was part of a, a duology, so we have Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained. And much to, I'm sure, Milton's chagrin, nobody remembers the second book in the series. And that's because he did such a good job at demonstrating the devil's point of view. I mean, how often is Paradise Lost quoted? It is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Yeah. I mean, that really... When you take that as the motivation for this character in our cosmic mythology, no wonder people have picked up and run with the character ever since. He went from being a dark, sinister force that just wants to destroy and kill mankind, humankind, to a creature a spirit that we can actually kind of sympathize with. He thought things were going wrong, and his, the only option open to him was rebellion. And so he rebelled, and in so doing lost everything that he had, and he builds the city of Pandemonium, which is, of course, where we get that word from. This is the city of the demons, the city of all demons. 
and sets out to try to conquer the cosmos in what he knows is a futile effort. But if, but he will do anything that he can to further his cause, even though he knows in the end it will not be successful. This character that John Milton gave us of the Fallen One has infected our culture and really, really changed the way we write about the devil. From the 80s, we get a plethora of songs and several entire genres of music like black metal that revel in the idea of Satan as the eternal rebel, as the one who will not submit to authority, of the one who sees the injustice in the world and fights against it. We hear in wonderful refrains from Ronnie James Dio questions of whose side are we really on? His classic track, Last in Line, will know for the first time if we're evil or divine, but we're the last in line. Oh, that's something to really think about. Songs like Holy Diver, which ask exactly how far should we go in our search for knowledge, in our search for wisdom. How far is too far? And we can go all the way back to Black Sabbath and their title track from their title album where they got the name of the band from Black Sabbath. Actually, that's not true. The band was originally called Earth, and they were playing opposite a movie called Black Sabbath. Not not the best movie, but if you want to hunt it down, it's not utterly horrible. Um, but it was playing across the way. And they noticed that a lot of people were going to see the movie, and they changed their name to basically trick people to come see them in concert. And, well, <laughs> we remember them, and we don't remember the movie now, so there's something to that, I guess. But why this character? I mean, even Walt Disney put a version of the devil into Fantasia, and before you start click-clacking your writings, yes, I know that that is Chernabog, who's the god of darkness in Slavic mythology. Yes, I, I know this. But to the average person watching Night on Bald Mountain, that's the devil. That is the iconic devil that we are used to seeing here in the West. And it's one of those things that has really become core to our Western ideals that we are rebellious. We do not submit. We do not sit down quietly and let people take advantage of us. We fight, we argue, we do not go quietly into that night. And so, over the years, the devil has shapeshifted and taken on various forms in our music, in our literature, and in our culture. He's become everything from the humorous and the sublime. I mean, think about the old Looney Tunes cartoons where we meet the devil, and he's funny. The old Tom and Jerry's, where we meet the devil, and again, he's funny. And also a dog, because of course if you're a cat, the devil would be a dog, wouldn't he? This inculcation of our culture with a devil who has motives we can understand, who isn't just a blind evil force, 
does change something in our psyche and is something that is very valuable to us and something that we shouldn't just let go away. Now, why would I say that this is valuable? What makes this version of the devil valuable? Because it teaches us that everyone is questionable. Even those who have so much power, you seemingly have no chance against them. I mean, that's the core story of the devil, right? He's rebelling against the creator of the universe. He has no chance of winning this war. For all the things that he's doing, it's done out of spite and to be a problem because he knows he's not going to win. And there is something almost heroic in that depiction. And given our own culture's history of fighting Nazis in World War II up to today, and fighting racism and terrorist organizations, we learn to see the devil in others. But what, especially like rock music, has given to people is the ability to see the devil in themselves. This idea that it doesn't matter what the orthodoxy is. If you see it's wrong, you should have the courage to stand up against it, to fight back, to not accept the status quo, not accept that the way things are is the way things have always been or the way things will always be. We are the rebels. And what greater rebel is there than the Dark One, the Devil himself, the ultimate and first rebel? What I find more fascinating about Devil characters as they've presented themselves is that they've left the realm of pure horror fiction. When we first start encountering Devil stories outside of, you know, Paradise Lost, we see devils and demons being used as dark creatures to scare and horrify us. But before long, devils and demons started getting incorporated into fantasy fiction and into supernatural fiction, which took them in a different way. I mean, think about the devils that exist in Lord of the Rings, for example, and we actually have several the two most prominent that most are familiar with would be Morgoth, the first Dark Lord, and Sauron, the second Dark Lord. One could also argue that Saruman is also very much a devil figure if we take for granted that the idea of the devil is an angelic being, one who serves the creator of the universe who later rebels from him. Morgoth, obviously, rebelled, and he his rebellion started very early, where he added discord to the song of the universe. Sauron came to serve Morgoth early on, and after Morgoth's defeat, he repented for a while, maybe earnestly or maybe just to save his own hide. The story is very ambiguous on this and actually points out its own ambiguity that it doesn't know whether or not he decided to be reformed until he just couldn't be reformed anymore, or whether or not he just wanted to keep himself from being banished to the outer darkness with Morgoth. But Saruman himself, he 
is one of the Ainur. He is one of the first beings. I mean, not the very first, you know, but he is an angelic being in the same way that Gandalf is, who's really the only other character of that, you know, high status that we meet throughout the stories. And so seeing him fall because he can't see a way for goodness to win. He can't see a way to defeat the Dark Lord. Sauron will corrupt the hearts of men, for the hearts of men are eminently corruptible. So the only option that we have is to join him. Well, this is a person who has stood in the light of Eru Iluvatar. This is a man who saw the created beings at the very beginning. He, he had no reason to believe that Sauron would not be defeated in the same way that Morgoth would be defeated, but his own weakness brought him down. And what we see in these three devils in the Lord of the Rings, or in Tolkien's writings in general, because Morgoth is kind of mentioned a little bit in the Lord of the Rings, but you know, you really have to read the Silmarillion to get his story, is that devil from different places. One, we see a bit of the Loki, especially in Sauron. When you read Sauron's stories, he's got a lot of Loki in him. But we see Milton's devil. These are devils who rejected the world that they saw and wanted something else. Morgoth wanted to be his own creator. He wanted to create life, which is why he added his discord into the song at the very beginning of the universe. This is how we get the Balrogs. This is how we get the dragons. These were created in the beginning because of the discord that Melkor, one of, I, actually, I guess you'd say Morgoth's true name, added to the song at the beginning. And so he wanted to be his own creator. S Sauron just kind of wanted power. And we can see this in his repentance. We can see this in his dastardly deeds that he performs in Numenor when he tricks these, this isle of divine men into revolting against Eru Iluvatar to the point where they're destroyed. And this, of course, is where Sauron loses his beautiful body and will never be beautiful again. And he fashions for himself a new body and clads it in iron. Yeah. It's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. So we've just been discussing the devil as he pertains to um, Tolkien's lore and mythology. One of the things that I found really interesting is how the Marvel Cinematic Universe recast the character of Thanos for the Infinity War and changed his motivation. See, in the comics, he has a very different, very different motivation. You see, in the comic, the Mad Titan Thanos is in love with the literal incarnation of death. 
And he's trying to get her attention, and she will not pay attention to him. And he thinks if he can get the Infinity Stones and kill half of all life in the cosmos, she will have to pay attention to him. This, in a way, makes him kind of a devil figure, but the literal devil figure of the Marvel Universe actually aids him in this and taunts him and torments him and drives him towards this. And I'm talking about Mephistopheles. Mephisto appears to him and goads him on. The devil makes Thanos do it. And what's interesting about the reinterpretation of Thanos for the film version of Infinity War is the devil is literally in the details now. Thanos doesn't need an external devil to trick him into doing things. He doesn't need a literal personification of death to fall in love with and desire to please because he has seen hell. The Thanos that we meet in Infinity War is one who is blinded by the Malthusian dilemma. In other words, he believes that there's only a limited number of resources in the universe, and as populations grow, we will eventually overuse them, and there won't be enough, and there will be starvation, there will be deprivation, and there will be war. History doesn't actually bear that out. What we have seen over the centuries is people increase productivity, and that productivity fills a lot of the gaps. But Thanos doesn't see that. And we see this example given of his home world, where they overpopulated, resources became limited. He first put forth his idea that if they would do a lottery and literally wipe out half of their own population, they would be saved. He wanted to commit genocide against his own people so they could be saved. That in and of itself shows him as the monster that he is. Remember, they could have gone out into space. They could have colonized other worlds. They could have gotten resources in many other ways. But no... Why don't we just commit suicide? Why don't we just kill ourselves? Why don't we kill half of our own population? And we'll do it fair. We'll do it by lot. Everybody's name will be in the bucket and we'll just pull people's names out. And he can't see the alternatives. And of course they reject his idea because it is mad. It's an insane idea. Malthus was wrong when he put this forward, idea forward in the 1800s, and I think it was the 1800s, and he's wrong, he's wrong now. And it doesn't matter how Malthusian people like Bill Gates get, there's no evidence that there's anything to the theory other than just the theory itself. It's a way to keep control of resources by a small minority of people. And, of course, the larger the majority becomes underneath them, the more unstable their hold over power becomes. So, of course, the only option is to cull the herd down below. Yeah, it's a dark way to think. And so Thanos becomes his own devil in the cinematic version of the story. And that's really interesting. Because... In a certain way, 
You can see where he's coming from. And not necessarily that his facts are correct or that his ideas are good, because they're not. But he cares. You see, he's not acting out of greed or self-interest like the Thanos in the comic. The Thanos in the comic, he just wants a date with death. That's all he wants. He wants her to like him. He wants to get together and have a fun, groovy time. <laughs> this Thanos is a true believer, and like all true believers, he's blinded to any facts that could dissuade him from the path that he's following. He can't see a difference. He can't see any other way. And it goes beyond can't to the real answer, which is that he won't. He's so blinded himself that when he has the decision of sacrificing Gomorrah, he doesn't hesitate but to do it. Because nothing is more important than the mission. Nothing is more important than the cause. He has blinded himself. He has become a true devil. It doesn't matter what he goes through. It is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And he doesn't see what he's creating as hell. He doesn't see it as pandemonium. No, he's going back to a simpler time. He's going to be a farmer when all this is done. And we look at the trailer for the new movie, and we see him as a farmer. He's got his armor hung up as a scarecrow. There he is, tending his crops. But why? He's the only one there. And if there were others, I'm not sure that they would be happy to see him since he just killed off half the population of everyone, everywhere. But he's blind to these effects. He's blind to the idea that he might be wrong. And it's really fascinating when we see this Thanos, because it shows us the change in our concept of the devil. And it's an interesting one for several reasons. We've gone from the devil as a rebel, because we no longer see being a rebel as a bad thing. I mean, think about it. Deadpool would normally be classified as a devil figure, right? He's the ultimate rebel. He's irreverent. He doesn't abide by decorum. He's always rebelling against something and somebody. I mean, for goodness sakes, that's the whole plot of the second movie is him trying to be an X-Men and then trying to start his own team. And he can't do any of it right because he's a rebel. He's a fighter. He's somebody who shakes up the system. And many of our characters are like that now. Almost everyone in the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, that's who they are. A lot of our heroes now are this sort of rebel. So our devil can't be a rebel anymore. And that's the brilliance of what happens with Thanos. Thanos doesn't need an external villain, an external devil, pushing him on to do the things that he does, because the devil's inside him, the devil's in the details. The devil is his blind devotion to his cause that prevents him from seeing any other possibility. Ah, that's our real devil now, isn't it? The devil is certainty. The devil is 
blind obedience. See, we flipped around. We've completely flipped around to the other side of things. We no longer see rebellion as the problem. Being a rebel is no longer the ultimate sign of villainy. Because we're all rebels. We've gotten rid of our kings. We no longer live in feudal states and serve our masters blindly. So the idea that the villain would be a rebel, we just can't abide. Especially here in the United States. I mean, our founding fathers all signed their names to a treasonous document. The Declaration of Independence. They committed treason against their home country because they felt it was what they needed to do. Better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And so they rebelled. And we see this story repeated throughout history in many of the Western countries. So the new devil is certainty. The new devil is having absolute blind faith in what you're doing and saying and believing that it is right at all costs, no matter what the cost is. And this new devil has been borne out by history. You see, the rest of us have been sitting back going, huh, rebellion is a good thing. But we know it's a good thing. We, we've seen what happens on the other side of this. We've seen the Soviet Union rise and fall and try to rise again. We saw the rise of Nazi Germany and the war we fought to defeat it. We saw Franco's fascism and how horrible it is. We can't understand the idea that despots would be allowed to rule and reign. We have become the rebels. And so those kings, those oligarchs, those authoritarians who hold all truth to themselves and believe that they are the only arbiter of what is right and wrong, they are the new devil. Mm. Interesting. And so now we truly have sympathy for the devil. Everything has changed. Everything is different. Everything's been flipped on its head. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? From my point of view, that's very much a good thing. Blind obeyance of anyone is a weakness. It's our duty in this life to question everything. There's a certain amount of skepticism that's healthy and important, especially when it comes to issues of politics or ideology. Because everyone has an ulterior motive, and we know this now because we've seen that the devil is everywhere. And when we hear the voice of someone crying out very loudly that they should be listened to and all other people should be ignored, mm, we see the devil alive incarnate in front of us. But we don't call them the devil. They're trying to be God. See, we've, our sympathy for the devil has gotten so strong that we refer to our new devils, our new demons, the new villains of our cultural mythology as those who 
want godlike powers and godlike authority, those who are so delusional to believe themselves to be a god. See, we've taken on the voice of the devil. And for some of the right wing, that scares them. Because they don't understand that the devil that we're talking about is the one created by John Milton, a completely literary character who is the archetypal rebel, the one who fights for freedom no matter what the cost, and not the evil one of scripture who just wants to destroy and tear down and kill and murder and lie. No one has sympathy for that devil. We just see them in a completely different guise now. We like the rebel. We join in on the side of rebellion. What we disdain now is the one who thinks that they should control everything. Because that control is more dangerous than the rebellion. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to like either this episode or this podcast, please click like. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithm to share me with other people. If you know anybody that you think would like this episode or this podcast, please share it with them. Help me to keep growing doing this. If you got a couple bucks you can throw my way, depending on the app, you can either hit the button that says support or in the show notes, you'll see a link that says support on Anchor. You can give it the one, five or $10 a month levels. That really does help me continue doing everything that I do and helps me to get to more events so that I can meet you all face to face. If you have any questions or comments, I highly recommend that you download the Anchor app at anchor.fm. If you download that, follow me, I'm Project Shadow, and you'll see a little button that says voice message. If you click that, you can leave me a one minute message. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like to hear me discuss on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you want to talk to me on social media, best place is probably Twitter. I'm CE Dorset on Twitter, but you can find links to all my social media accounts over at projectshadow.com as well as links to everything that I do. If you'd like to support everything that I do, you can go over to patreon.com slash cedorset and become a patron over there. Anywho, I hope you enjoyed this show. I had fun thinking about what to do, and I, I thought that this was a perfect use of our 666th episode. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.